Today on Dramatic Impact, I interview the Associate Artistic Director of the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton, James McDonald. I like theatre that doesn't answer all the questions, that doesn't say, this is what I want you to think, or manipulates you to think a certain way. It makes you go out, I call it the water cooler conversation, right? That it, or the bar conversation, that I want people to walk out of a play going... Let's talk about this. What did you think about this? What did you think about this? As opposed to going, oh, that was nice, or that was funny, or that was sad, or, and then forgetting about it. Welcome to episode 14 of Dramatic Impact. Today I'm sharing with you a fascinating discussion I had with James McDonald, who is the Associate Artistic Director at the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton. James has a BFA in acting from the University of Alberta. His recent directing credits at the Citadel include Shining City, Vimy, Fire, Equus, I Am My Own Wife, and Stones in His Pockets. His directing credits elsewhere include Much Ado About Nothing for Cannes Stage in Toronto, The Myth of Summer for Alberta Theatre Projects in Calgary, and The Old Ladies at the Shaw Festival in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario. James was a founding member and the former artistic director of the River City Shakespeare Festival in Edmonton and has directed many productions for them. He has won two Sterling Awards in Edmonton for his performances at the Citadel in Einstein's Gift and of Mice and Men. Recently, James MacDonald appeared at the Citadel as Sir William Lucas and Mr. Edward Gardner in Pride and Prejudice. Coming up in February, he'll be directing a new production of Julius Caesar, also at the Citadel. So if you're in Edmonton, be sure to check out that production, which according to the Citadel Theatre website promises to be action-packed, thrilling, and terrifying. To find out more, go to the Dramatic Impact website at www.actingintheatre.com and click on the links in the show notes for episode 14. I hope you enjoy the interview. So James... What were some of your first experiences with theater, and when did you know that you wanted to be an actor? My first experience with theater was actually taking Citadel Theater School classes in the mid-70s, right after the Citadel Theater building opened. And uh, I was one of the first students in the Citadel Theater School program, so it's kind of ironic that 30 years later it's my full-time job. I don't remember exactly how I got interested in it. My parents had good friends who were actors Hmm. and they're best friends. So I was around them quite a bit. And I think that influenced me to be interested in it. I was pretty shy as a kid. So it was a nice, it was always a good outlet for me. And my sister was actually planning on being an actress until she was paralyzed by stage fright and uh, decided it wasn't something for her. And so I sort of got into it based on what she did, and I just kept doing it. Oh, that's interesting. So she had, like, one early bad experience with... I think it was a number of experiences. She loved the theater, and she was a really good actor, but she just decided she never enjoyed it. You know, she she Mm. enjoyed the idea of it, and she enjoyed the performing, but she was always scared. And, you know, she was a big influence on me when I was young. Okay. And was it just a coincidence that your parents' best friends were actors? Or did they have some involvement? Yeah, they did, actually. I mean, I think they were the ones who got... My parents were very... My father's a doctor, but they're very artistic people. And they've always enjoyed, you know, they enjoy theater, music. They're very creative people. 
So they enjoyed having friends who were actors who were a little more dynamic. And um, the lifestyle of it was a bit more, a bit looser than that you'd normally find in medical circles or business circles. They were a bit crazy, right? They're just a bit kooky <laughs> and a bit fun the way most theater people are. Right, right. A lot of parties and a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting people visiting the house and things like that. So I was exposed to that as, at quite a young age. And I, they were very serious, dedicated people. He was a professor at the university, but it was really, it was great for me to see that you could actually be an adult and still have a great deal of enjoyment with your life you know when you're a kid you don't necessarily see that with all adults is there something about theater in particular that attracted you or that you're most passionate about do you mean when i was younger or now or or when you were younger you could answer either way i'd probably be better off answering it about now i I think the thing that has always struck me about theater is that I don't see any other art form that gives us that real communal feeling. I mean, mm. I'm a big fan of, of music and opera and dance and all of those things, but I think that the communal experience that you get watching a play, whether it's a comedy or a tragedy, any sort of drama, it's, a, it's an experience that we share. So political ideas are very vibrant on the stage because you are sharing them not only with the people who are acting the piece, but also with the people in the audience. It's why one of my first loves was Shakespeare, because I think Shakespeare mm-hmm. and doing Shakespeare outdoors, because that has to be a communal experience. It's not about people sitting in an, an audience watching a play. It's about a constant interaction between the actors and the audience. And whether that's actually actors in the audience talking to them, as it was in Fire, which I just did, or whether it's just an an implicit relationship that this is a a two-way street. It's a very important part of what I, my vision for the theater is that I want people to feel like they are involved in something as opposed to removed from something and watching it. And I feel that that's what great theater does. I'm also, um, I actually started university as a history student and thought that that might be my path. So I'm I'm a bit of a I guess intellectual would be the word, and I like ideas, so I like plays that have great ideas to them that make people think. Mm. And I think theater does that extremely well. It provokes you to think. I like theater that doesn't answer all the questions, that doesn't say, this is what I want you to think, or manipulates you to think a certain way. It makes you go out, I call it the water cooler conversation, right? That it, or the bar conversation, that I want people to walk out of a play going, let's talk about this, what did you think about this, what did you think about this, as opposed to going, oh, that was nice, or that was funny, or that was sad, or, and then forgetting about it. And I, I think that our job as people in the theatre, as professionals in the theatre, is to stimulate conversation of one form or another. So do you think that comes um, solely from the choice of the play, or are there other things that you keep in mind as a director and as an actor that helps that happen after the performance? Uh, it's a little of both. I mean, some plays are more overtly political or issue-related that would be more obvious about things that you would talk about. Some plays could appear to be very black and white in the statements that they're making. So the directorial choice is to try and avoid being too black or white about something to make Mm -hmm. sure that you are presenting both sides equally and finding all the areas of gray that you can that make people think in that way. And some of it is actual play choice to say we want to do something because we want the audience to be thinking. And there are more dramatists these days that are, well, not more, but there are, I guess it's always been that way. The theater's always been full of dramatists whose intention was to provoke. And these days you have someone like Neil LeBute or Mm -hmm. Martin McDonough or Connor McPherson who Mm -hmm. really want you to 
think about what you're seeing and really they don't want to answer all the questions for you they want you to walk away and and uh, have those conversations after what you see and it was all with Peter Schaffer any of the Greeks you know that's, that's yeah. basically what everything was about it's in, from time immemorial that's what we've done in the theater so that's uh, it's certainly the type of theater that I'm drawn to you were saying before that's what drew you towards founding a theater in Edmonton that was dedicated to doing Shakespeare in the park. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That company was founded by several of my classmates and me when we graduated from the acting program and, and a couple of other students of the U of A. And we were quite young and we were full of piss and vinegar and had all sorts of just, we wanted to produce and we wanted, we loved Shakespeare. We knew we were young actors who weren't going to be you know hired to go to Stratford right off the bat. And we saw a void, so we filled it. And what we discovered in doing that was that it was a really, it was a great communal experience producing it. It was also a great communal experience with the audience because you were constantly looking them in the eye because they're not, there's no lights that go down. Yeah. And out of that came, a, I think, a, a kind of style of producing and style of directing that's influenced me to today, which is that you envision a theater that doesn't have any lights and doesn't have any doors. You envision a theater where the single most attractive thing to an audience is the actor and the words Hmm. and you don't rely on sets and you don't rely on pyrotechnics don't get me wrong I love those things and they have a great place in the theater it's just where I came from was purely actor oriented and and people oriented what one thing you're blessed with in Shakespeare is wonderful words and a lot of people so you have 15 people on the stage that you are using in many different ways those two influences, one is using people on the stage and the other having the audience in that way, were very strong for me. Was that your first directing experience? Uh, yes, it was. I was an actor in that company for uh, six years before I started directing, and it was the first play I did. Well, the first play I did at the Fri- was at the Fringe, and that was a great experience, but this was sort of the first biggest, the first big thing that I did was in the park. Did you always know that you would want to direct as well as act? Yeah, I guess I did. You know, I really, like I say, I'm a bit of a, of a geek, a bit of an intellectual geek. So, uh, and to be honest, I'm just not that good an actor, right? Like there's a lot of, well, I... I no, that's wrong. <laughs> no, you're very sweet. I know a lot of great actors, great actors. Mm. And, well, I don't know a lot of great actors, but I know several great actors. And one of the things I realized was that if I wanted to continue in this profession, I wanted to work at a level that was high, Mm-hmm. I don't want it to have any sense. I don't, I don't feel that theater is or can be a hobby for people who make a living at it. I think it's a wonderful hobby for people who choose to make it a hobby, but I think it's a craft, and I think it's a discipline. And I think if, the, if you're not 100% committed to it and always working to work at the highest level possible in the same way that a, that a surgeon would or that a lawyer would or any of those things, I see it as, as, as high a craft as those... It's fairly complicated disciplines in that way. And I treated it seriously. So I knew that as an actor, I wasn't going to be one of the top actors. Mm. And I felt like my skills and my sort of particular kind of intellectual approach to theater was better suited to directing. And I felt like I also had, um, to be immodest, I felt like I had leadership skills. As an actor, you're, you're not called on to use your leadership skills. You're called on to use different skills. And I, those, I was, it was less easy for me to access those gifts than it was to exercise leadership skills, which is what a director essentially has to do, is be the captain of the team. And that just seemed to be a natural progression for me. Do you still feel a strong pull towards acting? Like if you don't do it for a while, does it hurt kind of? Does it, do you miss? 
enjoying I do, it. When I you're do not miss doing it. it. One of the thing I miss most about it is that actors, being an actor on a stage, unless you're a one, in a one-person show, is a wonderful communal experience. That those actors share something with the other actors in a show that no one else can understand. And it really is. Someone someone once said it to me, and I think it's such a people outside of the theater might find this very hard to comprehend. But the the terror that you go through as an actor is entirely unique. I mean, it's not, let's face it, it's not brain surgery and you're not fighting in a war. Right. But you are putting your neck out in a really vulnerable way if you're doing your job right anyway. Right. And the only people who can share that experience are the people who you're in a show with. And as a director, you have a different relationship with those people. It's very strong and it's always been very good for me, my relationship with the actors. But you don't feel it in the same way and that's what I miss the most. Mm. I miss the being on stage with people sharing that backstage, on the stage, going through rehearsal. I, I've never enjoyed anything in my life so much as I enjoy that. I'm satisfied more by directing in different ways, but I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy acting. So that's what I miss about it. But at the same time, I always do, I look at other actors and I go, those are, those are better actors than me. I wanna, I'd rather direct that good actor than compete with them for that part because I like what they do better. And, th- and I've found that satisfaction to work with great actors is unbelievable for me. Hmm. Okay. I guess I have to accept that. Uh, it seems to me, and this isn't anything personal because obviously I don't even know you, but it seems to me that if somebody is pulled towards something and somebody has a gift for it, an innate gift for it, then maybe... I mean, my personal view of acting is that nobody really knows how to teach it. Mm-hmm. And so there are just so many different ways that you can fail and so many ways you can succeed and everybody has to find their own way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's too harsh to judge yourself if you're an actor that way because you need your whole life, do you know what I mean, yeah. to get to where you're going to get to. Well, and you actually hit on something that's totally accurate, which is that one of the reasons that one of the things that holds me back from being an actor is that I'm quite I'm extremely self-critical. Yeah, don't and, do that. <laughs> no. And the, the real actors, the actors who really succeed, I mean they have their neuroses and they have their criticisms of themselves, but they're very they're very aware of themselves and very they have to be confident. They have to be. Mm. I mean, people always say that, well, you know, actors are loud, actors are boisterous, actors are whatever. Well, they have to be. Yes. They have to. We want them to be that. Yes. In the same way that if we're in, in a battle, we want the general to be the most arrogant SOB because <laughs> we want to be following somebody who's arrogant. And it's the same thing with an actor. We want them to be arrogant. If they, were, yeah. if they had self-doubt, we wouldn't enjoy watching them on the stage. Well, it's interesting, though, in this podcast, I've already had at least three people who are actors tell me that they were introverted people. So it's quite yeah. common um, for people who are shy to find their voice as an actor. It really is, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is that they, and one of the, actually this is something I miss about acting too, is that I feel like as I get older, I get more emotionally aware. Yes. You know, you're emotionally aware when you're 40 in a different way than you are when you're 20. When I was 20, I was really cut off emotionally, and that's when I was in theater school, you know, and you're just going, well, that's not the right time to do it. And... You have to be emotionally aware in that way. And one of the things that, one of the reasons a lot of people get into acting is because they are sensitive in that way or introverted in that way. Well, theater school's a rough environment too, isn't it? Like you have to protect yourself. I guess so. I mean, I, I, I look back on it and uh, it was, uh, 
I wouldn't say uh, I think it could have been rougher. I could have taken it better. I could have challenged myself a bit more mm. in terms of what I went through. I, like I say, I'd come out of two years of a history program. Right. So I thought university was university. Yeah. And uh, great instructors who were very uh, attuned to, you know, what it took to be a good actor. And I wasn't ready for it in that way. I became ready for it probably five or six years later. Yes. Yeah. So, And I, I actually teach quite a bit now. I've taught at the U of A uh, several times. And you're right when you say you can't teach people how to act. Mm. You can only teach them how to access being a good actor. Mm. You can't make somebody a good actor who is not a good actor. You can only see the, the gifts, the innate gifts that someone has and draw those out of them. And those gifts are a lot of different things. It doesn't mean the ability to cry or the ability to have a nice voice that speaks well. It's something far more intangible. It's passion. It's dedication. Dedication is a huge one. And I see it all the time now is that I can see someone who has the skills to be an actor, but having worked, you know, bloody hard for 20 years and seen so many people, so many wonderful actors fail, they don't fail because they're not good actors. They fail because they don't have the right discipline for it, mm. or they fail because they don't pursue the craft, or they fail because they don't write the right letters. They right. fail because they don't go to the right parties. There's all <laughs> sorts of reasons why you fail, and it doesn't have to do with skill. And sometimes you just fail because there's too many actors and you're in competition with a lot of people. It's a business that relies on a really rare combination of gifts that are, are very intangible to quantify. Hmm. So as an actor and director, could you tell us about some of your peak theater experiences and what it was about those experiences that was most important to you? That's a good question. I think as an actor, one of the... Well, I had a, I had a really good year a few years ago. I did Einstein's Gift at the Citadel and originated a part in that, a new play, which it, that part was in my wheelhouse. I felt like that was a part that I really understood and it was underneath me and I was working with people I just adored and I loved being on stage and I loved doing it. And then that summer I played Henry V in the park here and that was a part and a, a play that I'd loved since I was a teenager. Mm. So it was a real dream for me to do it. And I think, again, it was the right time for me to do it because it, it meant a lot. All the themes in that play meant a lot to me emotionally and intellectually and everything else. And it was a great ensemble. So the feeling of doing that, and also because I think those plays are meant to be performed outside, the feeling of being of doing those astonishing speeches to the soldiers and yeah. looking out over 1,500 people who are listening to Shakespeare and appreciating and understanding Shakespeare on a summer's day. I mean, there's nothing like it. There's mm -hmm. absolutely nothing like it. So that was, that was one of them. And I've had, I've had a lot of good directing experiences. One of the things about being a director is that you don't enjoy the experience as much when you're doing it. You enjoy it in retrospect mm -hmm. because it's very hard work and you're mm -hmm. constantly thinking while you're doing it. And so I, I haven't had a lot that every day I went to work going, wow, I love it when I go in and I love it when I leave. I've had several that once they open, or particularly once they're running, and I go back to see them, that I go, that was, this is a good show. This is a show that I'm very proud of. But as I say, I'm also very self-critical, so I don't have, as most of the great directors, I'm not that I'm a great director, but most of the, <laughs> the, well, the people that I aspire to be or the people I admire are people who are constantly striving to better themselves as opposed to people who are complacent and go, because I think those are the people after a week of rehearsal go, well, I guess we're good. Let's, now we'll put it up and the audience will laugh and that's fine, as opposed right. to people... You know, and Bob Baker, who runs the Citadel, who's my boss, 
one of the things I most admire about him is the fact that he's constantly challenging himself. He's challenging the people he works with, and he's challenging himself to always make something better. He's done a Christmas carol here eight years in a row, and every year he attacks it like it's a fresh play. Hmm. So every year he finds new things in that production, and that's one of the reasons why it continues to have success, is that he is... Cons, he's not treating it as, oh, well, let's do it paint by numbers. He's treating it as a fresh rehearsal period every time to keep digging, keep digging. And that's eight years of rehearsal. Yes, so, yes. You know, you can imagine if you, if you do it in three or four weeks, you feel like you've only scratched the surface on everything you do. So this may be a related question. What would be a dream project for you? Well, I kind of get to do them. I mean, this year I'm doing Julius Caesar, which is the play that I've wanted to do. I did it in the park. 10 years ago, and it's a play I've wanted to do ever since then. I have a couple of others. I'm moving into the idea of adapting Shakespeare. I see it done quite a bit, and I generally admire what's done with it, but I think that, like I say, there's something about the themes of those plays and the characters that I see always as being modern. I see those plays as being very, very modern. I never see them as being something that was written 400 years ago. Everything about them is about our society. I've got a couple of things on the go that are about either putting those plays into modern language or just reworking the stories, taking the stories and just writing plays based on that. So you're Um, interested in writing as well? mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the, you know, the other, most of the rest of them just have to do with, you know, new play projects that are starting to come to life and you get the germ of an idea and you see, I really enjoyed doing Vimy last year with Vern Thiessen, who's an old friend of mine, and Vern had a play, and I was attached to it a year before we did it. And the I, the whole idea of the production developed ba- as the script developed, so it was a real collaborative experience. And that you take an ownership over doing a new play in that way that you do with no other play. I mean, there's been a lot of... I do a lot of plays where there's been a lot of other productions, and yes, I may appreciate or enjoy my production, but I don't necessarily think it's transforming to the play. But every time you do a new play, you're transforming it. And you sit there on opening night, and I can go in front of my actors and say, you are doing something that has never been done before. Mm -hmm. Never in the history of theater has anybody ever heard these words before. That is a profoundly moving experience for me to have that happen, which is why I always cry on opening nights. But (laughs) maybe I'm just a big sap, too. (laughs) No, it's good to be sensitive if you're if you're an artist. So, how did that work with you and Vern? Were you in effect co-directors and co-writers, or or how how would you describe? Well, I give the myself I give myself credit as co-writer, but I wouldn't give him credit as co-director. <laughs> okay. No, that's not true at all. Vern Vern's the playwright, and I'm the director, and I'm very happy to. He's an excellent writer, Vern. And we just have a good symbiotic relationship, you know. That he, I would always try to illustrate to him what he had written how that would look on the stage whether it was just between the two of us or whether it was something that was a, a workshop process as we went through a production workshop so I could illustrate to him with actors whether it was in rehearsal and my job as I saw was always to do my best interpretation of that and when you do that you automatically end up making suggestions so you say well a lot of them are cuts. A lot of them are saying, Vern, you've overwritten the scene, and he will recognize that because he has a character that says, Sally, I've just discovered that I'm madly in love with you when he, that character may just need to do a look. And Vern will recognize that the power of that look is better than the power of that line that he's written. And vice versa. Vern will look at what I do in rehearsal, and I'm totally open to him saying, you know, my intent of this was this, 
And that opens it up for me to say, well, either that's not what is written, I can't get that across, or to say, you know what, you're right, I, that's, not, that's not coming across in that, and I will make that adjustment. But you have to have a great collaboration with someone in order, in order for that to work. Trust, um, you have to have the A ton of trust. Yeah. Well, the whole foundation of theatre is trust. The whole foundation of any collaboration, especially between writer and director or director and actor, if there's no trust in that relationship, it's gone. You can't get it back, and you can still get a good performance out of an actor if they don't trust you, and they can still get stuff from you as a director if you don't trust them or they don't trust you, but very rarely and not in the way that I like to work. That's all for episode 14. Look for episode 15 at the beginning of February. Thanks to Aaron Sabarin and Mike Sabarin for composing and editing our music. If you need original music for any of your own projects, please feel free to contact them. There's a link to their email address in the show notes. Thanks also to Theatre Alberta for continuing to provide us with publicity for the podcast through their Theatre Buzz email newsletter. I'm Elaine Elrod. So long until next time.